Proverbs chapter number 5. That's where we're at tonight. Proverbs chapter number 5. We've already got a big start in this chapter and a good ways down through it. And um, in fact, we went through verse number 14 in our last study. The first part of this chapter that we've already studied uh, had to do, and as I said, the chapter commenced with an admonition concerning adultery, uh, something that's not new here in America for sure. And then Solomon, as we'll see tonight, uh, continues with advice concerning marriage. And then he ends up this chapter, the conclusion is an argument for purity. So tonight, the title of the message, I suppose, the only two things I can think of, is marriage and morals. And so let's begin looking at the first of those in verse number 15. And he says, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of, uh, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Well, in this first section here, he gives advice concerning marriage. And boy, if there was ever a time uh, in our history, a time when people needed wise counsel concerning marriage, it's today because the institution of the family is in deep trouble. I I just noticed an article, uh, I can't remember where, but sometime today, uh, you know, the Jerry Brown, the governor out there in California, and uh, the fact that in the wording of all of their legal documents and now the phrase husband and wife in regards to the family is removed. That will no longer be used in reference to a family uh, because they believe, you know, you can have a family uh, with something other than a husband uh, and a wife. Well, you know, that alone, when when one of our states uh, and many of our leaders today are pushing that kind of nonsense, you know that America is in deep trouble because Most folks don't even know how to define marriage today. And so there's a lot of different ideas about the family, but only the Bible gives us the absolute facts. I'm so glad that we can embrace the Bible with certainty that it is absolute truth. And boy, if you ever get away from that one fundamental doctrine, you're in trouble. The gates open, the cattle are out. I mean, there's, uh, there's no going back. Uh, and, and, and yet the majority of people do not believe there is any such thing as absolute truth. Everything is relative in their mind. Uh, and uh, that's why we are where we are, that every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Well, look at verse number 15. Now, we'll just take this section in chunks here, and uh, I want you, to, want you to notice as he begins to deal with the specifics here, the, the first thing that he points out concerning marriage is that 
desires should be fulfilled from a legitimate source. Verse 15, drink water out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Now, I think everybody understands a cistern is something that catches water and holds water, you know, whereas a, a well has water seeping into it. It doesn't necessarily depend upon rainfall and what have you, but they are very similar. And, uh, and, and notice here, he's talking about thine own cistern and out of thine own well. The, the whole point of this is that the satisfaction is to come from the own, your own personal property, not somebody else's. And, and, and the point is having a God-given desire doesn't give us the right to fulfill it as we please. And that's one of the arguments. And, we, you know, we think about, well, I've got this desire and God gave it to me. And so, you know, if God gave me the desire, then it must be, uh, uh, must be okay for me to, to satisfy that desire. Because after all, I didn't ask for it, kind of like one preacher told me. And, 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 and anyway, I won't go into the detail. Uh, this one preacher told me he's in the midst of an affair, and, and, uh, and I, I knew him back before he ever started preaching, and so... I contacted him and, and talked to him about, like, man, what in the world are you doing? And uh, anyway, he began to explain that he ha- had fallen in love with this other woman. And uh, knowing that it's wrong, knowing that God very well, would, you know, might chastise him. And, and then he made this statement. He said, in fact, I'm just, I'm just pretty disappointed or upset and angry with God. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I prayed and prayed that God will take away this desire, and he hasn't, and I I can't continue living without this woman as long as I have this desire. In other words, it's like blaming God. You know, one of the the tricks the devil uses in regards to homosexuality, and this is one of the one of the things that whenever we think about our young people in schools and what have you, and we wonder why it is that it's become such uh, an ep- epidemic in our schools, whether you realize it or not, it is. I'm talking about our schools even around here. It's just like a raging fire going through the schools. And uh, part of their argument has to do with, well, have you ever had this urge or that urge or anything? And, uh, I mean, if you're a parent, why I, I don't need to stand here and lecture you on sex education. You know that all children at some point in time in their lifetime are going to, you know, wonder what this is for and that's for, and, and you know, and they're going to discover feelings they have that they don't know what this is all about or anything. And, and the point is... These people will, in trying to recruit them into their perversion, they'll begin bombarding them with questions like that. And, and then if they ever get them to admit, oh, well, yeah I've, yeah, I've had that urge or that feeling before. And, well, see, then you're living in denial. You're just, you're just living in denial. You need to come out of the closet, you know. You need to join with us. So that's a part of the argument. Now, look, we're talking about marriage tonight, but please understand when we talk about this matter of of our desires being satisfied from legitimate sources, that can apply to just about anything in life. That just because we have a desire for something, I mean, uh, uh, I've got to tell you, I've I've had a desire for a, 
a blacked out Camaro for a long time. But that doesn't give me the right to go down there and drive one off of somebody's parking lot because, well, you know, God gave me that desire. I've been wanting that for years, you know. And, uh, uh, and, and so really my dream car was the, the 57 Chevy and Brother John would be so disappointed if I went over and stole his 57 Chevy. And I, I, I don't think he would buy the argument. But, but Brother John, I've been wanting one of them since 1957, you know. That wouldn't cut any ice with him at all. And it sure wouldn't impress God. Now understand, back in those days, having a, a cistern or a well was one of a person's most valuable possessions because life depends on water. And I mean, there, there were wars waged over wells. If you've been reading in the Old Testament, you know that's true. And boy, if you had a well, you had something. I mean, I'm telling you, it was more valuable than gold. You can't drink gold, but you've got to have water. And so he's talking about something here that, that is of great value in speaking about the man's wife and that he's to find his sexual gratification only, only in her. Now, now notice in the second thing he mentions about this, not only should desires be satisfied in a legitimate way, but he, he tells us in verse 16 that, that desiring children ought to be natural. He says, Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the street. Now, you know, as the, the fruit of a spring is a river, and in other words, it, that, that's where it starts. If you trace the Mississippi way up, you know, into Minnesota somewhere, you'll find just a little trickle of water that, that comes from a, a spring or maybe several springs, and it starts out that way, and all of these little rivulets begin to come together, and all of a sudden you get down here, you know, to... Uh, to the Gulf, and you've got the mighty Mississippi. Uh, and, and so the fruit of the spring is a river, and the fruit of a marriage is what? Well, it's children. And, and the idea here, as I understand it anyway, is that children should go forth for public good. In other words, they ought to be productive citizens. And so he's saying, Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad as rivers of water in the streets, out there where people live. And for the life of me, you know, I don't understand people that don't want to have children or people that, and this might rile some of you up, but I'm sorry, it's the way I feel. I don't understand people that want to limit the number of children that God wants them to have. Now, I understand sometimes there are health reasons. I realize that. Uh, but, but other than that, well... I, I still believe Psalms 127 is true. Let me read you a couple of verses. And I, I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but I sure have. Psalms 127 in verse 3, Lo, children are in heritage, that is, they are a gift of the Lord. And uh, we, by the way, we need to make them feel that way. And help them to understand you you are our gift. And whenever David Matthew was born, uh, uh, we named him that for a reason, beloved gift of God. And, you know, that was the way that we felt and wanted to convey that to him. 
So children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them, and they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I mean, there's a whole sermon there in those, uh, in those few verses, and it's, it's so very important to understand that, that when God gives us children, it's a gift. And, and notice he speaks about them being out there in the gate, just like our text speaking about them as being a fountain of water that has sprung up out of the relationship, and now that fountain of water is out there in the streets, out there among the people, out there doing good. That's what we ought to hope for all of our children. Not that we'll, you know, just keep them... You know, just keep them from sin and feel like, well, you know, we're a great success. If I can keep them from smoking dope and doing this and doing that, then I will have been successful. You know, we want to do the best we can to make our children and train our children and help our children become useful uh, in, in the world in which they live. And certainly that running water, the picture of the river of water out there going through the city, uh, would be something that, you know, that would be helpful to everybody. And, and to me, I think that's the point of it. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I surely uh, wouldn't feel angry with God if he said, okay, you know, I want, you to, uh, want you to have, you know, X number of kids. I, to me, I, I've always said for years and years, I guess this is the one point that I'm in more agreement with the Catholics than I am with the Baptists, but... You know, I just I just don't see any justification for saying, okay, God, I want one or two, or like a lot of people, I don't want any. I've got my career. It'll mess my career up. Fooey on your career. I don't think God's the least bit impressed with that kind of an argument. And I think, yeah, I think we'll leave it to God. Enough said. I've made everybody mad now. Verse 17. Here, here's, here's the third thing about this. And that is that uh, descendants should come from a proper relationship. Talk about the children now. Verse, verse number 17. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Well, I, you know, we live in a day where so many people don't even know who their father is. And uh, I'm telling you, Bev and I just uh, even today have gone through an experience that, well, if I hadn't missed last week because I didn't feel well, the experience that we went through today, I think we both would have just said, uh, you know, I'm going to call Tony or call Kenneth or somebody and say, "Hey, pinch hit tonight." I, I, I you know, I, I just don't want to go, and uh, I don't want to have to explain myself when I say that. But there's so many times that kids have to grow up in this world never knowing who their daddy is, and uh, and then there are other cases where you know the person. Uh, they think is their father really isn't their father and uh, you'd, you'd probably be shocked we all would if we knew exactly how many men are raising a child that they think is theirs and it's not 
that child was the result of uh, immorality on the part of the woman, and the woman is living in guilt because they know they're living a lie. Uh, you know, and day by day they watch that man as he dotes on that child, thinking it's his. And that child becomes a daily reminder to the woman uh, of her unfaithfulness. Even though she has repented of it, even though it is gone, even though nobody else, you know, in the family at least, nobody else knows anything about it, but they know. And and I'm telling you, there's no doubt a lot of women that are eaten up with guilt just listen, as, as anybody would be when they try to conceal their sin instead of confessing their sin. And so every day they look at that child, it's a reminder of their unfaithfulness and their untruthfulness. And, you know, that's a horrible way to have to live. But, but listen, that's the way sin is. As I said the other day, whenever we sin, we can get forgiveness for that sin But the sad thing is we can't always get rid of the consequences of it. And some of those consequences we have to live with for the rest of our life. And and boy, I'll tell you, I feel for these families that are going through difficulties like that, and and especially for the children that, you know, maybe they got absentee fathers or whatever it is, or they don't even know who dad is, and it's so sad. And so this verse is in here telling us we need to take great care that the children be thine own and not strangers with thee. And that will be of a concern to, to say, a, a young couple whenever they get married, uh, that we're going to be faithful one to another and faithful to God, and we're not going to let this happen, and we're not going to, you know, let sin wreck our marriage. Now look at verse number 18, and, and here, here's the, the fourth thing about this advice concerning marriage. And he tells us here that delight, that's just... A wonderful word in itself, isn't it? Delight. Delight should characterize every marriage. And notice there are two verses that relates to this. Verse 18, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Now remember in verse number 5, the wife is pictured here as a cistern and a, and a well, and, uh, or verse 15, whichever it was. And uh, now the metaphor, notice here, is a fountain... And, and it's a fountain that is blessed. And to the Jews in that day, boy, this is a perfect picture of blessedness because in ancient times the Jewish women considered herself blessed if she bore children. In other words, if she had children, she thought that was a sign of God's favor. On the other hand, on the other hand, they believed if, if they are barren that it is a curse from God upon them and in fact it was so bad that other women would literally mock them for not having children we even find examples of that in the bible and and so for a woman to have a child i mean she's ecstatic about it because you know this is a sign that i'm in god's favor and he has blessed me with with this wonderful child and boy i wish all mothers would feel that way about their children and think about them being a blessing instead of a burden, a, a gift from God. Now, in the second part of this same verse here, it says, Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. 
you know, that just naturally flows from the first part of the verse, right? And, and here you picture these people in the arid land of Palestine and water is scarce. And so here's somebody that has access or ownership of, let's say, a, a fountain of water. And boy, they, they have a treasure. And the point here is that's the way we ought to think about our wife as being a person of value, a treasure in our sight. And, uh, and, and I, I love the fact that he emphasized here, Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. In other words, the same woman that you married originally. Uh, that's the idea. And that's, you know, that's the ideal uh, whenever it comes to marriage. And I understand that it doesn't always work out. I understand that there are times that, and, and I'm not going to get into the matter of justification or anything like that. There are times there have been dear Christian women to marry some jerk have two or three kids, and all of a sudden he has an affair. He dumps her. He goes off somewhere else. So now you've got a single mother out here that has to try to hold down a job and support all of those kids. And and, and, and there's so many things about that 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 I, I just you've heard me confess before that I don't understand. I, I, I really don't. But at least I can sympathize with people that are going through that. But I'm telling you, every every married couple needs to start out with the idea that this this is going to be until death do us part. That's the ideal that God has given. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. It doesn't say endure, you know. And and and, and we all understand that uh, they're going to be bumpy places and rocky roads and difficult times in any marriage. Uh, somebody told me years ago, one of our members said, uh, I guess he believed it, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of think he maybe was deaf, I don't but He said, we've never had an argument, never had a disagreement of any kind. And uh, i, I got to tell you, I don't believe that. I, I really don't. I just don't think you can... Two people can live together for any length of time at all and never have a disagreement or some kind of a little spat or something. And, uh, you know, if he had said, well, I've never given her a black eye, well, I would, yeah, I would have believed that. But, you know, to have the audacity to say, you know, we've never had any arguments or disagreements or anything, it's just hard for me to believe. And I sure couldn't say that. And Bev's here, and she she can tell you that's not been the case with us after all of these 54, 50, yeah, 54 years now. Uh, uh, but 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 thank God for for the fact that we can rejoice in one another. Brother Ray and I was talking earlier, and I don't want to betray his confidence. And we was talking about something, and as everybody knows, Brother Ray lost his wife uh, here a short time ago, and. He was talking about the fact of being there home alone now, and uh, uh, but, but talk about just him and his wife when just the two of them were together, and, and nobody else was in the house or anything, and that that was all all they needed to make them happy, and it was just. And Bev and I have said so many times, it's such. The most wonderful evening, you know, that you can have is being able to have an evening at home together and the phone doesn't ring. If you ever call us and you can't get through, 
it's because the phone is in there in the dish rag drawer. We take it off, and I, and, and I'll every times I'll turn mine off just so we can you know just sit there without any interruption and and you know that, that might be boring to a lot of people, but it, it's not. And we need to, we need to rejoice in the treasure that we have in one another. Now, verse number nineteen. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Now, there's several words here that needs to be explained. They're not real complicated or anything. The first one is hind. That's a deer. The second one is roe. And, uh, you know, after looking up all of the different definitions, I, I think the best one there to describe that is actually a mountain goat. No jokes, please. I, you know, <laughs> no, no jokes about that. And, and listen, it might not sound very flattering. Whoa, you are my old goat, you know. That, that doesn't sound flattering to anyone, but in reality it is because he's given us a word picture of animals that are graceful and beautiful. In other words, animals that are delightful to look at. And when you're in love with someone, you know, that's the way you look at them. You, you take great delight in looking upon them. And then, of course, when he speaks about the, the breast here, it's a, we're talking about a source of satisfaction uh, in the sense that as the, the, the breast, and you think about the, you know, the little baby coming into the world and it's fed from the breast and, and God has given man that natural attraction and the embracing and the feeling of the, the woman's bosom against your chest and so forth. That, that's all natural. It's not something that we ought to look upon is dirty or unfit for uh, talk in church. And, and so the idea here is that, that we're to find our satisfaction in one another. And to describe this, notice he uses the word ravished. That means to reel under the influence of. To reel under the influence of. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I guess it's a sort of a good kind of inebriation or intoxication, intoxicated, drunk on her love, you see. And it's a picture of ecstatic joy. And, you know, that's why, you know, even today we use phrases like, oh, she swept me off of my feet. And, well, you've all heard me talk about the way Bev and I met. I think she was in the third grade and I was in the fourth grade out there on the school ground at York School, and she was with her little old snotty-nosed bunch of friends that I couldn't stand, but boy, was I ever attracted to her. And uh, and uh, and she she was in the same grade as my sister, and so my sister and her became friends, and she'd come over to the house, and it was, she hated my guts. I don't understand why, but she really did. She couldn't stand me, and um, but anyway... Uh, years went by, she went to a different junior high school. She went to a uh, different high school, the snooty one in town, you know, and I went with all of the greasers. And so we had that, that difference. And uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, uh, sometime, uh, yeah, I know it. I'm, I, yeah, I am. I'm really, I'm thinking hard about what to say. But somewhere or another, 
the girl I was going with dumped me or something like that. Anyway, I caught her with another guy, and that didn't work out. But I'd met a friend through her, and so I went over to this girl's house, Ramona's house, and lo and behold, she showed up. She was the next-door neighbor there. And boy, it didn't take me but about a second to realize this is that same girl that I've, you know, that I fell in love with way back when I was in like the fourth grade. And, uh, you know, (laughs) he's talking about, you talk about intoxication and, and being ecstatic. I mean, smitten, swept me off my feet. And, and and that's the way it was. That's, that's the kind of feeling that we ought to have one for another. Ravish with her love. Now, verse 20. Boy, I got hung up there. Well, let's look at these last. Here's an argument for purity. And we'll hurry through this. Just a couple of things I want you to notice. There's a question and an explanation. Now, remember, he's been, talk, he's been talking about adultery. He started out with that. Then he moved on to talk about marriage specifically and children and, and uh, you know, enjoying the love one for another. But then he gets down to this matter of purity. And notice the inquiry there in verse 20. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? And embrace the bosom of a stranger. Well, you know, that, that's a great question, and especially, you know, at this point in time. And, and something that we need to think about, because most people don't think about the high price of sin until it's too late. Now remember, his son has already warned him about the consequences, you know, what the consequences would be. And so here the question is, considering those consequences, why would you do it? I bet as a parent, you probably ask your kid sometime or another, why did you do that? You know better than that. I mean, you knew that nothing good was going to come from that. And so here is a reminder that sometimes we do things that defy common sense. And there's only one conclusion you can come to, and that is sin stupid. Sin is the most stupid thing that any of us can do. It never pays to sin. And so that's the point here. Why wilt thou? Why would you do this? Rather than finding your pleasure, rather than being ravished with the one that you have a legitimate relationship with, why would you embrace the bosom of a stranger? Now, here's the explanation in the next few verses. Notice verse number 21, because here, notice our sins are discovered by the Lord. And boy, you know, this ought to, this ought to put a stop uh, whenever it comes to the matter of lust. He says, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all of his goings. In chapter 15 and verse 3, we'll see that sometime in the future The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding evil and good. That ought to get our attention. Amen. The eyes of the Lord are every place. Somewhere in my Bible, whenever I knew that, and I'm not going to take time to read this, but J.C. Ryle, Riley, however you want to pronounce it, wrote a book many, many years ago, and the title of it was Thoughts for Young Men. And uh, it's about the eyes of God and, uh, and, and warning them. 
you know, that God is looking, God is listening, and so on and so forth. But, uh, and I, I thought if I had time tonight, I'd read that, and I don't. But I don't need to. Uh, you know, maybe it'd be better if I told you, go home and read Psalms 139, the first 12 verses especially. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think. God lives in constant awareness of us. By the way, that ought to make a difference in the way that we live. Now, verse 22, our sins are, are, are dominating. In other words, they will enslave us. And Verse 22, his own iniquity shall take the wicked. Notice that word take, capture. He'll take or capture uh, the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. And maybe some of you remember here a few months ago I preached a message uh, from Isaiah 5.18 about cobwebs and cart ropes. And that, that's the idea here, that he'll be taken, captured with the cords of his sins. And that's why I keep saying sin has its own built-in punishment. Taken with the cords of his sins. I was in Myrtle, Mississippi, and uh, down there in uh, one of those old-fashioned tent meetings. Percy Ray was the the pastor back then, and uh, uh, a lot lot of different preachers that that became well-known and what have you got their start preaching down in Myrtle, Mississippi. And, and I'll never forget the first time I heard Proverbs 14, 14. I mean, I'd read it before, I'm sure. But the first time it just hit me between the eyes like a two before. And it said, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Now, I want you to think about that. Backsliding has to do with the attitude of our heart. It's what's going on in our heart. It always starts there. The backslider in heart shall be filled with what? His own ways. In other words, your own sins will be the thing that eventually will enslave you and make you miserable and and, and ultimately destroy you. And by the way, that's exactly what Romans chapter 1 is all about, right? Whenever you pick up and you start reading that, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient, you know, we, we don't have to punish evildoers because they did wrong because ultimately, finally, whether it's age or something else, finally their own sin will be the thing that brings them down. And so the last thought is that sin is destructive and all I need to do is read this. He shall die. Well, that's pretty blunt, Right? No beating around the bush here. He shall die without instruction. And no further word of explanation or anything else. He, you know, goes ahead and ignores what God says and sins. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Sin is just insanity. That's all I know to say. It makes no sense at all for us to sin against God. And so... That's why that Solomon is giving his, his son this argument concerning the need for purity in his life. 
Because, as you know, there have been so many young men and young women that started out, maybe raised in church, and they started out, and, boy, they had such bright prospects, and we all thought, oh, my, you know, this kid, God's going to really use this kid. And the next thing you know, you get that report, that ugly report, you know, that she's pregnant. And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, their lives begin to unravel and fall apart. And, and I, I know that we're never going to prevent all of this, but we ought to do our best at trying, at trying to teach our children the need and, and, you know, for, for a life of purity. Be ye holy because he is holy. Well, that's enough said tonight.